Hello, this is Mark Walton, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair. Tonight I am joined by Will Oakley and Don Love and we're here to look ahead to Saturday's tasty tie with Blackburn at Ewood Park. But before we do that, Morgan Cowton and I spoke earlier in the week about a man who scored a rather special goal in the same fixture 19 years ago. Fulham. I'm here with Morgs tonight to talk about Sean Davis and the, f- the first place I normally start with these is I- I'd normally ask you how you felt when a particular player signed for the club. But Sean Davis rose up through the youth team, uh, established himself in the team and then went on to play for the club in all four divisions, a, a feat that um, nobody-, nobody else holds. His debut on October the 15th, 1996 at home to Cambridge United went a little bit under the radar at the time as the club were in the middle of being dragged out of the doldrums by Mickey Adams. But he was the first real homegrown success story of my lifetime, which, looking back, is something I'm quite proud of, given how long he stayed. What about you, mate? Yeah, very much the same. I mean, as I said, you know, he made his debut fairly quietly at the time. Um, and I think, the same as you, he was the first kind of homegrown player um, that then went on to stay with the club. And obviously, we'll talk about that to go on. But he's, a, you know, he's one of those players you can look back on with you know with pride but at the same time when you look at it he didn't actually play for us for that long he's not sort of um you know someone who's played for 15 years with the club and you know one club man or anything but he is just that success story of our academy which would have been um fairly shoestring at the time well he did he did stay for eight years in the end he made his debut in in 1996 and he left in 2004 but i guess those first few seasons, he wasn't really in the team or he was in and out of the team and just, you know, just trying to establish himself. Yeah, it was it was pretty much, uh, what was it, about five seasons of solid football. Yeah, um, I think so. so, you know, whereas you can get five seasons out of a player without almost even blinking sort of at, at times, maybe not so much these days, but yeah, it seems like a regular amount of time for a player to play without, you know, even becoming a legend. Burns, you know, he managed. He managed to do that, but I think obviously that comes with the fact that you know he did uh, play for us in four divisions, as opposed to just a few seasons in the Premier League. I guess one thing we'll never know is how his career would have evolved had Fulham not been on such a steep trajectory towards the Premier League at the time. I wonder. I wonder whether he would have stayed with us if we'd have been kicking around in the bottom division for a few seasons, and whether he'd have just you know, just kind of not really grown as a player. Or mm. I, I think his, his career was massively, massively helped by the fact that Fulham was so successful at the time. He got to play under the likes of Kevin Keegan. He got to, you know, play play under uh, Jean Tigana. Um, and then obviously later on, Chris Coleman as well. And I, I, I really think that he, he grew with the club. What do you reckon? I totally agree. I mean, he would have come through our YTS system, which... I imagine, <clears throat> excuse me, wouldn't have been the best in the world at the time, considering how much money we didn't have. And then, obviously, the coaching of Mickey Adams uh, did wonders for the players at the time. Um, but then to go on to have these, you know, experienced, you know, world coaches um, involved. If you're a player with a decent amount of talent, then these are the kind of guys that are going to unlock it, and they clearly did. Um, had it been, you know, the same situation where it just been Mickey Adams for a couple of seasons and then, you know, had he lost his job and we brought in another sort of Div 3, Div 2 manager, would it have been the same? Probably not. And he, you know, obviously scouting systems work in such a way that um, teams in the higher leagues would have sent someone along because he clearly had some talent there. Uh, and he may have moved on to pass his new well before he did. But obviously we will never know how he would have developed uh, with us had we not been... <laughs> in um, hitting the stratosphere like we did back then. Yeah, very much so. I, I was just thinking that at, at the time that he did come through, I always kind of grouped him and a guy called Luke Cornwall and, under the oh, same yeah. umbrella. And Luke Cornwall broke into the, t- broke into the team the, the season after the Mickey Adams promotion. And I think he, he scored one goal in, in four appearances. 
And I've just brought up his his page here, and he's gone on to play uh, four games at Fulham, was on loan to QPR and didn't play, played 10 games at Grimsby, three at Lincoln, three at Bradford, and then dropped into non-league. So his career, given that he was a striker and he scored quite early on, uh, quite a tall striker as well, um, just took a very, very different path to that of Sean Davis. Um, didn't he get, didn't and, he get two uh, in a game against York or something? I seem to remember. I think it's it definitely it definitely scored against York. I'm not sure if he got two or whether he got one. But yeah, that, I that remember I remember that game. But, yeah, it's a ridiculous yeah. game where we should have we, we we took the lead three times and ended up just giving away three stupid goals and um in in, in many ways quite quite similar to the the Huddersfield game last weekend. Although obviously we didn't we didn't concede the third goal and we went on to win the game. But anyway, um, I, I was yeah I, I was just going to say as well that after that. Um, after that, uh, sorry, after that Mickey Adams season, a lot of players left, and then obviously there was the Al Fire takeover as well. But Sean survived that, um, and he made a, a handful of appearances during the 97-98 season under Ray Wilkins, and then the 98-99 promotion season under Kevin Keegan as well. Before beginning to get a few more games throughout 99-2000 under Paul Bracewell, and whilst whilst that season wasn't the greatest, as we finished mid-table. He did get the experience of playing alongside Lee Clark, and I think that was another real uh, kind of stepping stone for his career. What do you think? I mean, Lee Clark was one of those players that if you're a young upcoming midfielder and you have the opportunity to play next to him, he's the kind of ideal player to be playing next to. Uh, he was great. He was a great servant um, for you know most of the clubs he went to. I think he uh, he pissed off the Sunderland fans a bit, but um, from our point of view, we saw some you know, some of the best football from him. And if you're Sean Davis and you get drafted into the team, there is a pressure to perform up to his level. And he certainly started doing that. And I think, you know, had it been anyone else, um, you know, for example, I think Kevin Ball was in there the season before. Uh, well, he certainly got a few games, didn't he? <laughs> Can you imagine trying yeah, to learn yeah. from Kevin Ball? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, instead of having uh, Lee Clark um, as opposed to anyone else, uh, you know, as, as well as um, John Collins the next season, you're going to learn mm. a hell of a lot as a player and it's going to only aid your development. Well, you talk about that next season when John Tigana came in, who he, he transformed the, not only the way we play, but our approach to training and also diet and, and all sorts. He just transformed the club completely. But it was him that really made Sean Davis a regular starter during that season when we were promoted to the Premier League. And, and he took that, took that, took to that seamlessly. Yeah, and also the fact is Tagana came in, changed the style of football we were compl- uh, playing completely. Obviously, obviously saw something in terms of, you know, the, the youthful sort of uh, youthful vigour that Davis offered in compared to sort of John Collins or the experienced heads of you know, Goldbeck and Clark. And it added something to the team, which we didn't need to go out and shop for, which considering how much money we'd been spending was was great um, because it just allowed us to have that that person on the pitch who knew the club, knew the fans. Um, and it just added that uh, little something to the team that had it been just a, you know, all off the shop shelf or team may have not been quite the same. But I think what he did with him was you know, took a player who was, you know, we've used the term a few times, so uh, AK was certainly a rough diamond uh, mm. and polished him completely. Yeah, and also you, you say about how we didn't really spend a great deal of money that summer. We had been quite uh, quite heavy spenders um, as we were coming up from the, uh, the what is now the League One, so Division Division 2 back. And the, the season that Tigana came in, you're right, we didn't really do a great deal uh, of business. As you say, I think John Collins came in maybe on a free transfer, a couple of million quid on Louis Saha, um, and I think we loaned in Louis Boamorte as well. But we yeah. already had uh, Barry Hales, um, Mike Taylor, Chris Coleman, etc. But like you say, Sean Davis was already at the club and he was just given just given his opportunity. And and for me that that season under um, under Jean Tigana there were two moments that clearly stand out towards the end of that season which we're going to talk about obviously very shortly. But earlier on that season in the December there were also two stunning strikes away at West Brom and Preston, both from distance and both giving the keeper no chance, proving that he could certainly hit the ball. Yeah, definitely. I mean that was uh, one of his things, wasn't he? He was a he was a great combative midfielder, but at the same time he had a you know decent right peg on him. 
and that it was just another part of his game that um was great to see and it wasn't you know it uh scoring wasn't his strong point um but it's certainly something yeah. he had in his locker and you know sometimes when you get a player like him you go he didn't score enough goals but he did score a few so you know we can't look too badly on that you're right though scoring isn't necessarily one of his one of his main strengths however the two of the goals that he did score uh the things that he's most fondly remember for and you know famous for within within our fan base certainly but um that that season in many ways he was the perfect foil for Lee Clark who we've already spoken about um because he was playing in a more defensive role whilst Lee Clark got forward um and I don't know whether this is a fair comparison or not but I, I was thinking earlier who in our current squad he was most like and and I just put here that he was he was like a, a more mobile and agile Josh Oliver who enjoyed a tackle but did weigh in with some goals that's fair or do you think that's off the mark? Uh, I would suggest it's possibly a little bit too early, but I get I get where you're coming from. And I think, mm. uh, you know, in terms of seeing how Onoma's playing, because obviously he started, uh, you know, Onoma started off fairly sort of averagely and was not quite sure yeah. what he was doing in the team. He's had a few strong performances since then. But again, recently, as he tailed off a bit, I mean, uh, maybe a bit unfair, but I think uh, maybe the idea is right. Maybe he likes to get forward a bit. You know, he wanders around, the, he, he hammers around the pitch, gets stuck in when need be. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah, the comparison could be there, but I need to see more from Onoma to uh, justify being compared to Davis at the moment. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right, well, let's come on to it then. Let's discuss the goal for which he's most famous for, Blackburn away. During that, that, um, that season, Fulham and Blackburn have been one and two all season long. Um, well, we've been one and they've been two. Um, Graham Thunes was Blackburn boss and he was adamant that despite uh, eating our dust all season, that his side were the best side in the division. We got up to Ewood Park um, and Matt Janssen gave Blackburn an early lead. And then, of course, Rufus Brevitt was sent off for us uh, before half-time. But then, just on half-time, Louis Louis Sahar equalised when Brad Friedel collided with one of his defenders trying to catch the ball and just dropped the ball right onto his toe. And it was one all. In the second half, we then spent the whole of the match defending. I think they Blackburn had the ball everywhere but the net. Um, they hit the crossbar. Um, and then right up until injury time. Remind me what happened then, Morgs. Yeah, just I'm going back 19 years in my head, which is a long yeah. time. Uh, but, you know, I, I remember where, when, uh, you know, where I was when I was watching it. Um, I seem to remember the, what is it? And the ball came in from the left. I can't remember who from. But... Uh, Davis kind of found himself in space where he shouldn't have had any space, uh, just outside the six yard area, I guess it was yeah. a little bit uh, towards penalty spot and just, you know, pressure the world on his shoulders, calm as you like, banged it straight in. Uh, and I think probably the Blackburn fans were more shocked than anything, having seen, you know, what they just seen for the previous 45 minutes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it was the only time that Tagana really showed any emotion at the side of the pitch. And he's sort of uh, running down uh, to celebrate yeah. with them. It was almost like, uh, do you remember Mourinho celebrated yeah. at Old Trafford when uh, Porto won there? And, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then obviously we got the dance, which could go down as one of the worst dances ever. But I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> it was, it was uh, I think, one of those, it was one of those moments, I think, when, uh, you know, you would forgive any form of a, Sort of bad dancing or whatever, just because it was such a, I guess for, for the players as well, just the release of emotion after mm. such a hard game, and also having had Sunes mouthing off as he does um, for you know the days before it, and to do that uh, and effectively seal the championship, uh, it's just it was a, it was a pretty amazing moment. For it fans, really was for the players. It must have been amazing. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I was in the away end that night, and I. I've never cheered a goal more in my life than that goal. We were we were whistling when the ball was in our penalty area for the final whistle. Come on, come on, we've got a great point here, got a great point. And everyone was just in complete and utter disbelief when when we broke away and scored. And I remember there was a there was a moment where I thought it was going to be disallowed. And I remember just looking over to the linesman thinking, he's off he's surely offside. And just couldn't believe it. I was hugging strangers and then during the drive home, I just felt sick from where I shouted so much. I've given myself such a sore head. 
Um, I've never had that since, and but it was it was well worth it. And just remember singing Sooness, Sooness, how do you feel as we were as we were leaving the ground? I've always hated that prick, and I love rubbing rubbing that into him. Utter utter asshole, that bloke. Um, so that that's Blackburn, who of course we are playing this weekend. A um, couple of days later, on so that was the Wednesday. On the Saturday, we went to Huddersfield. Um, and of course, we were promoted. We weren't promoted at Blackburn. We were promoted at Huddersfield on the Saturday with a two-two-one win. And then we had a chance to win the title the following Monday when we played Sheffield Wednesday at home. All we yeah. needed was to get a point. For some reason, Tagana gave Marcus Hanneman, our US reserve goalkeeper, um, a, a start, and um, he let one in through his fingers from a corner in the first few minutes. Um, but then we left it late to grab the equaliser. But bloody oh, who went and got the equaliser? It's only Sean Davis again, right in the like 94th, 95th minute, spun spun on the penalty spot and stuck it in the top corner. Do you remember that goal? I do. I remember. I was uh, I was in the hammy end, quite low down, just behind the goal. Uh, so I'd been, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd been right there when Hanneman had uh, dropped his clanger, which was, it was just, I think he just punched into, uh, punched into the goal. I think didn't he? he just, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he shouldn't have been on there really with the sort of game like that. But at the end of the day, the guy makes his own ammo. So you're going to argue with him. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but then, yeah, I remember, uh, you know, with the ball, just a bit pushing. You know, it, the the end of that season was quite weird because once we'd actually beaten Huddersfield. The pressure was off, and it, there were about I think three games uh, in the lot out of the last four that finished one all. Um, so the, clearly the pressure had sort of risen off the players, uh, whereas all the other teams wanted to beat us still. Um, and I just remember that ball flying in, and just you know obviously the championship was sealed. Shortly running off, shirt off, uh, mm. and yeah, kind uh, of dance you know, again. Sort of, uh, more dancing, topless dancing this time. So <laughs> uh, dance, dan- dancing, and a booking. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, of course. It was a uh, yeah. It's it's quite funny thinking back that far though, because you know it was all that innocent childhood watching sort of football uh, sort of happiness, and nowadays mm. I'm like, oh god, it just like would it, would it be the same outpouring of emotion? <laughs> it would be very different, I guess. Right. But it's uh, you know it was it was it was a fun time, but it was such a fun season as well. Um, and I think it was the you know the perfect way to go up as champions, even if it wasn't a win. It was just you know that ninety fifth minute equaliser. So, well, so so many of um, of us Fulham supporters who have been around a little while just grew up in real grim times, and it was just the norm to go and watch Fulham and just know we were going to be shit and know we were going to get beat. So to then go full circle and see us just steamroller our way through the football leagues, you know, singing "You'll Never Play Us Again." in some godforsaken northern towns and really pissing off the locals and then going and sealing um, this this championship with over, over 100 points. And, of course, we won the league with four games to go as well. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, I was saying, you know, I, the first season I started going, I was 11. Um, and it was the season that we were, you know, at one point, 91st in the league. So in that space of six years, I'd seen it all. And I don't even, you know, yeah. and I was still not even 18 yet. <laughs> it was just like, you know, it was it was somewhat unbelievable at the time. Um, and we were spoiled, you know, especially when yeah. you're looking at it from, uh, you know, young eyes. You're seeing everything going on. You have no, you can't think back to the days of Haynes and Cohen and, you know, seeing Best and uh, Moore play because I you know, wasn't born. Um, but in this case, it was hitting those heights after such you know, uh, an exciting ride. And then you're thinking, what's happened? What's going to happen next? You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be the Manchester United of the South if uh, Alphard's right. <laughs> so, um, but it was, uh, yeah. That never was, quite materialised, did it? Well, it depends if you think about Manchester United then or now, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. Very much right, well, the sure. South at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Well, Sean Davis went on to become a regular for us in the Premier League um, until he left in 2004. How well do you think he did? Do you think um, he exceeded expectations? Uh, I don't know. I think expectations were pretty high on him. Uh, He went on, uh, he did pretty well. Um, I think he got player of the season, didn't he? Um, In one of the Coleman seasons, maybe? Yeah, Uh, actually. uh, And 
So yeah, he did. He did very well. You know, obviously he attracted um, interest from I think it was Middlesbrough and Everton back then. So you know, solid mid-table teams without attracting anything too exciting. Um, but uh, and then obviously he got slightly disgruntled there. I'm not quite sure what the reason was, but obviously maybe his his agent had a word in his ear as he get more money at Everton because he handed in a transfer request, didn't he? Um, at one point, yes, he did. Uh, yeah. But then he got injured, and then he retracted his transfer request, and they signed a new contract, which may have been the fact that you know he wanted to show a bit of loyalty to Fulham, or maybe he just got for the better, you know, off better money, and thought that maybe his injury had held him back a bit. Uh, you never really know. You never know what happens behind closed doors, um, right. especially when you've got an agent in your in your ear. Um, and so it was, it was kind of a mixed time because obviously he, he was playing very well. He was influential on the team, but then there was obviously this like uh, you know rough spot. As you, know, you get that with players, there don't you? You do get players who handed a transfer request because they think they can sort of advance their career, uh, but they're retracting. Oh, I have a you know a long and fruitful career with that club, but obviously he didn't stay too much longer after that. Now you mentioned that Everton thing, I, I remember it, and I had forgotten about it. But I remember at the time when he did eventually leave in in two thousand and four to sign for Spurs. I remember being really pissed off, um, and I always, I always remembered it being because a, a, a couple of weeks or maybe even a few days before he left, he was quoted as saying, "You know, the squad's really coming together. Really looking forward to getting the season started." And then he left, and I was really, I was really annoyed. But I think that mm. that Everton piece as well just just added fuel to that fire. Um, he came back with Spurs to play against us uh, a few months later, and I think we we won two nil. And he was given quite a frosty reception when he when he got on the ball. Uh, do you do you think that was deserved? Uh, I don't think he conducted himself in a particularly good way before he left. Uh, it was all very insincere when he was talking about you know as he said saying how exciting it was into the mm. season. Um, obviously, it was a bit of a weird time with Coleman coming in in place of Tagana because it seemed very much like the cheap option with him. You know, it seemed like the days of, you know, bringing in the world-class players was long and truly over at that point. And, you know, but at the end of the day, players who come back, if they haven't left with the blessing of the fans, as in, you know, in this case it was, you know, they're always going to get a frosty reception. It may be friendly banter, but they're not going to, you know, do anything other than boo most of the time. Uh, most of the time. Yeah. So, whether it's deserved, no, probably not, because he served us so well during his years. Uh, but unsurprising, probably not. <laughs> I think back then as well, Spurs. It was obviously playing for Spurs was obviously a bigger deal than playing for Fulham for a, for a professional mm-hmm. footballer. But Spurs weren't the successful team um, that, that are now challenging or have been challenging. That's because like, they're, they're still the not title. successful. They just, uh, you know, they get nearer. Yeah, that's exactly. They they were even further off then, though, weren't they? So I, I don't know. Um, I, anyway, I, I don't mind admitting that I booed him, and I, I was really really annoyed when when he left. But of course, then in two thousand and eight, he's playing for Portsmouth on the last day of the season of the Great Escape. We win one nil. Everybody's in a brilliant mood. Everyone's had a few beers, celebrating, and the Portsmouth players are doing their lap of honour. And we're all singing. There's only one Sean Davis as he's walking past us. So everyone's everyone forgot about it that day. And I, I think um, a lot of um, you know a lot of that um, I don't know that, that, that the nasty feeling. Yeah, yeah, the animosity was was just forgotten. Um, but he, yeah, it he, does. He, though, he, doesn't he it really? Know, does with it does with yeah. most players once they've once they've been gone a while. You know, you sort yeah. of like you know forget about, it. and then especially when they've moved on because obviously he didn't have the best time at Spurs. Uh, and he's gone on to sort of you know have a bit more of a career with Portsmouth. Uh, you kind of just hope for the best for him, really, because you want you want to see players from your club do well. You know, at the same time, in a few years' time, we'll look True. at you know assessing uh, you know where where he is. Well, we want him to do well because it shows it's a kind of a pride thing, isn't it? So I think, you know, especially when he was at Portsmouth yeah. and he moved on, you kind of want him to make sure he fulfills his career or fulfills his potential, uh, even if it is away from the club. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He went on to play, as you say, Portsmouth and then Bolton and then Bristol City, but he, he really suffered with injury. But at Portsmouth, the week after the the great escape game when, when we played against him, he went on to lift the FA Cup with Portsmouth. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking back now, I'm really pleased that he did that. Yeah, I think you know it's good for any player to you know at least win one bit of silverware. 
Uh, yeah. oh, obviously, he already won the Intertoto Cup, so I mean, I'm not quite sure what he was. Uh... Yeah, of course he did. Yeah, <laughs> wonder wonder which one he holds in high regard. Probably the Intertoto Cup. I would have thought. Probably. <laughs> I think you could. The thing is, you could fit the Intertoto Cup in the FA Cup. So it's. A... Yeah, yeah, like a little Russian bell. No one seems to give a shit about the FA Cup anymore. Anyway, at least of all Liverpool have stuck out their reserves tonight, and Jurgen Klopp hasn't even bothered turning up. So, you know, I bet if it was the Intertoto Cup, Klopp would be all over it. It's, it's Europe. You know what they think about Europe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, Sean, Sean's now back working for Fulham, of course, and he, you know, he's, he's had a variety of roles. He was the uh, the co-commentator with Jim McGully in a few seasons ago. Now he writes a, a piece for the for the Fulham website. Good to see him back, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. I think you know he, he obviously he moved on long ago, um, but you know Fulham is his home. In you know, yeah. from point of view, he grew up in the area. And so he clearly has some emotional ties to the club. And I actually, I played with him in a match at the Cottage back in, when was it, 2014? Clang. Here we yeah. go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Be out the big guns. We just picked that one up sure. for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> go on, tell us what, what was this about? I don't know about this. Go on. So there was, uh, we were sponsored by Marathon Bet. And it was the season we went down. But they'd held a competition and... Um, it's basically to play an 11 side game at the cottage. And so I won that, took someone along with me. We each got give each team had an ex Fulham player on their side. Uh, mm-hmm. the other team had Sean Davis and I had, uh, Luis Boamorte on mine. Oh, nice. And they, they kind of retired around the same time, I think. Um, but clearly Sean had kept his fitness better than Luis. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> there was there was something about I mean I think um obviously they both you know it was just a little kickabout. Whereas Sean you could still see had that sort of sharpness. He saw you know his the kind of professionalism didn't really leave him. Whereas Lewis was kind of floating around the pitch, <laughs> just like yeah. you know a bit of a sort of nice run out in the warm uh, in the warm May sun, and yeah. uh, it was quite funny. But even, you know Sean even got um he got a bit of an ankle injury during it. He was like no no don't worry I'll carry on. It's like you don't need to damage yourself just because you've been, you know, hired to play this one little game. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was he was a good lad actually. He, um, yeah, he was uh, he was he had a bit of fun, and uh, yeah, it was a that was a it was a good day that one. The injury wasn't courtesy of a Morgan Kaus and Stefan Johansson s tackle, was it? I, I am actually I am the king of Stefano shit house tackles. <laughs> Mainly because mainly I'm mainly because I'm not very good, and it's the only way I'm actually going to ca- stop some guy from running through. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I wasn't going to bother asking you this, but I think I will anyway. Um, favorite Fulham moment for Sean Davis? I think I know what the answer is going to be. Uh, I think it, it's very hard not to say the Blackburn game. Um, yeah. You know, it's from I wasn't at Ewood Park, so I didn't quite get the same feeling that you got from it. Uh, but I was watching watch it on TV. Um, but from in the flesh, it was the Sheffield Wednesday game because mm-hmm. obviously that saw us being crowned champions, and it was you know even later in the game, the Blackburn game, and it was just it was just a brilliant moment, and it was the moment that we knew that we were going to be in the Premier League, um, and you know just it was they couldn't at that time they couldn't have been a better player to have scored the goal that did that. So. I will I will pick the Sheffield Wednesday game as my uh, Shawnee Davis moment of uh, my lifetime. Fair play, and I'll, I'll pick the Blackburn game. But I do want to give a notable mention as well, um, because I know Danny always goes on about it. The uh, the ball that Sean Davis played to Louis Saha at Old Trafford in our first ever Premier League game or Premiership game, mm. um, played it over the top and Saha ran onto it and lobbed Bartes. He always mentions that. And it, it was a fantastic ball that I don't think, certainly we, we were talking earlier in the week about how Davis and Kearney uh, compare. Um, and I don't think Kearney would have played that ball. Kearney would have run it forward and, you know, played it on the ground. But Davis, quick look up, saw Saha was away and just pinged the ball over. Perfect ball. Um, of course, we 1-0 up at Old Trafford. We went on to lose the game, but it was still a fantastic ball and a great goal anyway. Um, right, mate, uh, we're nearly done. I just need you to rate Sean Davis's Fulham career out of 10. Oof. I'm not going to go as generous as I have done in the last sort of couple of things we've done because I think I've just done two keepers so far I give them nine and ten or something like that I think yeah. so I'm actually I'm going to give them a seven um I thought uh actually I'll give them a seven and a half just for those sort of two important goals I think you know given the fact that 
towards the end of his career, uh, he was injured a bit. There was a little bit of, uh, let's call it, um, petulance in terms of his transfer requests and all that. Um, but I think, you know, he was a great player during his time there. But I think had he stayed a bit longer and maybe seen, you know, a couple more years at the club, see what we could, see what we could do. Um, I think maybe he would have got uh, got up to the eights and nines, but in this case, I'll give him a seven and a half. Nice one. I think I will give him an eight just for the important goals that he scored and the fact that he played in all four divisions and he played in um, some fantastic seasons um, in which we amassed a lot of points, um, but deducting points for, for the way that he left. Um, but I think eight out of ten, seven and a half out of ten, around the same kind of mark yeah. is, is a, nice is a enough, I think. fair way to sum him up. Um, I'm, I'm going to be less and, generous with my with my uh, offerings from now on because I thought you know a bit over the top with uh, Mike Taylor and Schwarzer. <laughs> so, no, 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 harsh, they, harsh, they, harsher critic these days. Those those two players deserved high scores, as as does Sean. So good stuff. All right, mate. Thank you for that. I will speak to you soon. Fulham. All right, Will. Can you can you talk me through a Blackburn memory of yours, please? Um, yeah, so the one one of the ones I can remember was in uh, the sixteen seventeen season, where um, which was the one where we lost to Reading in the playoff semi final. Uh, we we won one nil away, and it was a ninety fourth minute winner for Kenny. It was quite a scrappy game. I think I didn't go, but I remember on the highlights, quite a scrappy game. You know, tackles flying around everywhere. Um, but 94th minute winner, and I think it went to about 98 minutes at a time or something crazy like that. But yeah, won the game just about in the end. Hopefully, um, we should win more comfortably uh, against Blackburn. But that was when we had the likes of you know, Matt Smith was playing, Woodrow playing, um, Hosebed, Ho- I think it is. Um, yeah, uh, Christiansen came on in the 90-something minute as well. And, and yeah, so it was quite a quite a tight game. But yeah, ninety fourth minute winner from Kearney. What I liked about that game as well was that it was Tom Kearney against his old club, and there was there was no oh I'm not going to celebrate this. He he went nuts yeah. and celebrated the goal. I love yeah, that. exactly. I'm going to go back a little bit further to the last game of the two thousand and four two thousand and five season. Fulham won three one on on that day. We were we were well safe already. Um, Steve Malbron got a couple, Brian McBride got one, Liam Rosini was sent off and Van der Sar saved a penalty from Robbie Savage. Um, so that was, it was quite quite eventful. And I, I think Liam Rosini got sent off for uh, for an altercation with Savage when he shoved him as well. Um, sadly, didn't knock him out, but there we go. So yeah, that was a, a, a good win on the road in the Premier League, that one. All right. Um, so Don, I'm going to come to you. How do you think we're going to line up this weekend? You know, I think it's going to be actually interesting to see what Scott does here. Uh, you know, nobody wants to have Scott doing the bingo picking of the team, but uh, we've got a new player possibility that could be coming in and playing center back, you know. So this could be really interesting. Tim Ream, I believe he was only suspended for that one game, if I'm not mistaken. So he's the he back available. Him. You know, do you put him in and uh, take a doy back out? Uh, or you know, push the doy back out to the side. Uh, let Christie hit the pine again. I personally liked Christie in that game, and I thought he actually had a better game than a doy. So I wouldn't mind Christie staying right where he was, uh, with, with Cavs sitting in front of him. And obviously, you know, Tom had a pretty good game, so you know, we'll keep him on the left and Brian in the back. The question again, as, as far as the back goes, is who's going to be the center back pairing? Long term, I think they're going to be looking at Congolo and, and Hector. So no, I think, I, I think that's going in. to be true. And I think, you know, there's a couple of reasons why that's going to be true. A, you know, Adoy isn't necessarily always consistent. He's more of our utility guy, who, which is awesome. He can play pretty much anywhere back. in that back four. He's a fullback by trade, though. That's right. Fine. Right. But, you know, he, he he is what he is. So, and then you look at Reem, obviously he's starting to age out. He's probably starting to think about, okay, and I'm pretty sure I've heard him mention um, that, you know, he's had some talks with uh, the Columbus crew. So he's pretty much, I'll bet, looking at his future. And I'll bet we just had, you just had this discussion. He's probably going to be along the lines of uh, Brian McBride. He's got young kids. 
he could be following in Brian's footsteps, young kids. If he doesn't go now, then he's got to deal with five more years uh, in the English system before he can convert to the American educational system. He could be looking at that and saying, well, Brian was smart and he did it this way. I'm going to have to do it like Brian and I'm going to go for the family. So we could lose him for other reasons than him just saying, you know what, I I need to move. My football isn't good enough here and I'm going to go to uh, the MLS. So I, I think it's smart that we're starting to plan for the future. If that's the case, we're planning for the future. Kudos to, to Tony Khan and them. Everybody gives him stick that, you know, he doesn't plan for things properly. Or he doesn't look ahead. Or he doesn't do this. I think that's actually smart. So as far as the other lineup, the rest of the lineup, it pretty much picks itself. The question I guess you could have in the midfield is, is Harry completely fit? And can he take over back from K-Mac or does K-Mac start again? And Harry comes on towards the later part of the game. Other than that, I think it picks itself. Metro will be up top, you know. Yeah. So I, I've just I've just written this lineup down quickly while you were talking. I've gone Rodak, Adoy at right back, Brian left back, Congolo and Hector as centre backs. Three in midfield. I think we might see McDonald, um, Kearney and Stefan Johansson just for a bit of steel. Creativity from Kearney and just a... a, a I don't more, have any problem with that. I don't have any yeah. problem with that. I like that being, being a starter. Well, well the, the only time they've started this season was, wasn't was a win. Um, that was what Stato gave us in his stats the other day. But I still I still do quite like it, especially for those um, those tricky trips up north where, you know, you, you're going to need a bit of bite and a bit of, a bit of um, steel in your, in your midfield. And then I think I think up front, if, um, if as we suspect, Knockout's still injured, I think it'll be... Uh, Bobby and Cav either side of Mitro again. I don't see any reason to to change those front three. I don't. I don't see any reason for to drop Bobby. I I think he's proven he's better at cutting in than he is playing that front man when Metro was gone. And if you saw his movement even off the ball, I thought he did wonders out there. And luckily, we can drop Cav on the other side, and he does he does fine. You know, he, I guess it'll be a talk a toss up between him and Knockhart for that position. But yeah, I was okay with Cav. Okay. What about you, Will? Do you think there'll be any uh, any major surprises to the lineup, or do you think we've pretty much covered it off? Um, yeah, I think you've covered it off. I think um, Congolo um, for Adoy would be the only change. Maybe Adoy in for Christie, but I'd like to see Christie, um, you know, carry on playing. He played quite well against Huddersfield, I thought. Um, I think Congolo could start because I feel like it might be a bit of a scrappy game, to be honest, and. Congolo's quite a big player, quite quite you know big built, um, and him and Hector as a partnership, I think, could be good against a, a team like Blackburn. To be honest, so that the only change for me would be a joy for Congolo. Okay, well, the only time we've seen Blackburn this season uh, was when we played them in the reverse fixture, and that was the second game of the season when we beat them two 0 and. I don't really know. I don't remember much about it, to be honest. I don't remember their style. All I can, I'll just quickly read off the their last few results. Their, their, their result of the weekend, they drew one all away at Borough, Middlesbrough. Um, before that, they beat QPR 2-1. But the game before that, on the 18th of January, Sheffield Wednesday nil, Blackburn 5. So they've obviously got something about them because Sheffield Wednesday are not having a bad season this season. Um, and then uh, at the start of the year on New Year's Day, they they lost three to at Forest as well. So they 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 are capable of getting a result one hundred percent. So I just I think we need to be careful here. Remind me, is this not the team that imploded two seasons ago, three seasons ago, and like went out to League One? Yeah. The goalkeeper didn't even have a jersey for one of the matches. He had to take back a jersey that he had signed from yeah. a, What's a up, person. Matt, and so, Blackburn, holy or... shit, it, it Blackburn that imploded and now they've crawled out of the gutter and they're buying six points off of uh, the, the being in promotion uh, contingency. I mean, that's kind of amazing, actually, in my mind, at least. Well, you might say it's even more amazing that they dropped down as far as League One when they were winning the Premier League in 1994. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. It's kind of I'm not a Blackburn fan. I don't know shit about them. But it's kind of neat to see a club implode and not just completely disappear. You know, yeah. uh, Portsmouth, you know, they imploded financially and everything. And I don't know. They're still in Sunday League for all I know, uh, non-league. No, no, Blackburn's no, 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 the no, no, they, they've crawled up. They, they've, they're, they're coming back. 
Portsmouth are only in League One, I think. They they almost came up last season. They're they're on their way back. It's good. It's good to see because you know the, the, it's not the fans that that ruin clubs. It's owners and and exactly. the bad running of clubs. So it's never, so you feel never bad for clubs that you know have this situation where the owner won't even give them enough damn money that they've got a second kit for the fucking goalie. So exactly for good for them that they they came back like that. Now, with that said, you talk about the previous re- results for them sitting at home. They've become a fortress. I don't. I, I'm, let me look at Stato stats here. I'm pretty sure they haven't lost but what two games or something. Yeah, two games. They've only lost two games since this this, this season being at home. And Stato says, you know, right. that those games were actually against bottom bottom of the of the table teams. So go figure. That that explains this league again. There's there's no explaining it. Um, but yeah, they've had some fantastic wins. They're currently sitting in tenth, six points off playoffs, like we said. Their record is one, uh, 10, 12 wins, 10 losses, 8 draws. So, you know, they're winning and drawing more than they're losing, uh, which isn't necessarily good for us going up there, sadly. So I, I agree with our lineup. You're going to need some grit. You're going to need some people who dig in and, and take some some shit, you know, and, and give it back. And, and you know, Steph Joe is definitely going to give it right back. So. Well, let's really quickly focus on Tom Kearney because he's once again back against his old club. He scored a worldie against them earlier in the season, pinged one in the top corner. He's He's got quite a habit of scoring against them. Will, do you expect a big performance from him this Saturday? Um, yeah, I think he has to play like he did against Huddersfield rather than how he did against Charlton. Um, you know, like Don um, was saying in the Huddersfield reaction, that the off-the-ball runs... Um, we we need to see more of them making space in the midfield because it's not all about when you do have the ball, but when he does have the ball, he he, he can ping an absolute amazing pass and and have some absolutely amazing shots with what looks to be imposs- an impossible position to shoot from, and that that's the Kearney that we need to see. Um, yeah, I, I think he has to play well, otherwise we're not. He's a key part of that midfield, and if he doesn't play well then we're in trouble, really. Yeah, OK. All right, well, we've got Stato stats in front of us. <clears throat> Don, you've already uh, alluded to them uh, a little bit so far, but I'm going to come to you and just ask you to talk to us a bit about Blackburn and their form this season. Well, like I said, their home form, they've been doing phenomenal. You know, they've only lost to two teams, Charlton and Luton, uh, when at home. So it's going to be a tough, tough nut to crack, I think, going up there. Um, they won their last match against a home match against QPR. uh, But before they had that or did that, they had three consecutive draws. So uh, if nothing else, hopefully, you know, we're going to at least dig in and get a draw, which we, I'm sorry, at this point in the season, we've got to be consistent and start getting points out of every match, scrap it out, dig it out and get the points. They do like to concede on average 0.87 goals per game at home. So that's in our favor. Uh, They've had six clean sheets, though, in their last 15 home games. So, you know, obviously they've got something going on at home with that defense. It, it's working and and it's doing pretty well. If they are going to concede, it tends to be in the second half. And this is where Stato says they tend to concede like 62% of their goals in the second half. So we need a tale of no first half, no second half. We need just the consistency throughout the match that we are there and we're dug in. Good stuff. All right, mate. Well, Will, talk to us about Blackburn's key players this season. So um, they've got quite a quite a few creative players, but we'll get on to them. Um, the the defence, so Elliot Bennett is a right-back and he's contributed four, four assists from there. Um, and 39% of Blackburn's attacks come down from the right side. So they'll be testing Joe Bryan's defence. Um, yeah, so... Christian Wharton, the goalkeeper, is the only player to have played every game in the league for Blackburn. And Lenehan, who's a centre-back, has played most games out of all available centre-backs. However, he's only 178 centimetres tall and Mitrovic is 189 centimetres tall, which most likely means that Adarabayo will probably play next to him because he is 196 centimetres tall, which is absolutely massive. Um, and a few who of the attacking Stato? players. Who knew, knew Stato had a tape measure? Yeah, exactly. Tape measure 
Yeah, yeah, I know it's crazy. Right, we're gonna leave it at that. We're gonna leave it at that. He's yeah. got to take it, okay? <laughs> Drop it. <laughs> Sorry, Stato. <laughs> um. So a few of the attacking players, Adam Armstrong plays kind of the right attacking midfield. Um, he's got eight goals and six assists, and he's their main attacking threat. They usually play a four-two-three-one with Armstrong out on the right. Um. However, last game against Middlesbrough, he did play in the striker role. Uh, now, Bradley Dack, who is their top scorer of nine goals and one assists, was like, kind of the team was very much built around him. But he's been out injured since December and will ha- will be out for the rest of the season. And they've only won two out of eight games since his injury, which is in our favour. And a former Fulham player, Lewis Holtby, who did look like he was on to a good career at one point, but no disrespect to Blackburn, is now playing for Blackburn. Um, he's got three goals and two assists and has filled in for the injured Dak. So he's coming midway through the season to kind of replace him. I didn't realise Lewis Holtby was at Blackburn, actually. It completely, it completely passed me by. He was one of our best players in the season that we went down with, with Felix McGatt, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think he went to um, went to Germany, if I'm correct. He, went, I think he was at Hamburg, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And he, and he looked like kind of, you know, a massive wonder kid and looked like he was going to gonna kind of be, be the next big thing. And I saw, I think, quite a few big clubs were interested in him, but obviously yeah. that didn't go to plan. I think I, I was quite keen for him to stay if we'd stayed up that season. But obviously at that time with his career just on in, in its ascendancy, there was, there was never any chance of him staying. But yeah, yeah well, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Hopefully he has an absolute nightmare. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Um, well, we're just going to have a look back very briefly at the corresponding fixture at the Cottage earlier in the season. We said that we won that game 2-0. Fulham had 60% possession in that game, which is slightly higher than our 59.4% season average. We had 83% pass succession and 12 shots on goal, but only two of them were on target, which were the two goals. Blackburn had no shots on target, which means that neither keeper actually made a save in that game. The stat of the day was that Bettinelli had 41 touches. Knockart only had 37 and went off in the 84th minute. So God knows what Knockart was doing uh, for, for, you know, the, uh, the, other, the other 84 minutes of the game. Um, it was, as I said earlier, it was only the second game of the season. It, were, it was a Fulham debut for Harry Arter and both Harrison Reed and Bobby Deckardover-Reed. And 51% of Blackburn's attacks came from the, the right-hand side of the pitch, um, which means that the other 49% either came down the left or through the middle. So potentially they could be targeting our, our left side, which, you know, as in the past we've talked about, uh, is potentially the weaker side, um, with Joe Bryan often spending a lot of his time up the pitch attacking. So we'll see how that works out for them. Hopefully it'll be another day, though, where Blackburn have no shots on target and we'll score a couple of goals and then no one will care. All right. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm going to come to you first, Don. Let's have a score prediction from you, please, sir. Uh, I think it's going to be down and dirty. We're going to get lucky, be 1-1. We're going to get one point out of this. We are going to get a point out of it. Okay. And what about you, Will? I'm actually quite confident for this game. I think it'll be um, 3-1. I think we could probably Ooh. concede a scrappy goal. Um, but yeah, I think I, I have faith in, in Mitrovic. The fact that he's, um, you know, a big, strong striker, like we're saying, there's someone, you know, an absolute massive player in a centre-back. But I think, uh, like I was saying earlier, it's going to be a gritty match. And I think with Mitrovic's strength and, and McDonald's a big player, and if, Congolo plays with Hector. That's two really strong centre halves, and I, I think I think it's going to be three one. Okay, I'm going to go three one as well. Let me put this to you though. So it's Blackburn away this weekend, and then Millwall away on the Tuesday. What would you be happy with out of those two games in terms of points, Don? Would you be happy with a four point return from those two games, or, or absolutely six? no four points. I, I could see is we dig in hard, we get the one point Blackburn, but then we go and we destroy Millwall, hopefully, and get all three. Four points. It's, it's two tough away games, though. It is you know very what? tough. 
It is very it's, tough. And that, that is a very close time frame, you know, to prepare, recover. So that's the championship. As soon as we don't win a game there, the Knives tend to come out for Scott Parker. And, you know, a, a point at either one of those games, as long as we back it up with a win in the other one, that, that's got to be a good a good return. And, you know, Le- Leeds and West Brom and Forest are starting to drop points here and there. So you just got to keep, keep going along with the points. we got to keep you? plugging. Got to keep plugging. That's all we can do. Keep plugging away. And this is where, you know, in this division, you've got to get stuck in and you've got to get a point here and there wherever you can. And that's the bottom line. We've got what to about, just dig in. So, what about you, Will? What about you? How um, many points would you be happy with? Yeah, I think um, I think four out of six would be a good return. Not amazing, um, mm. but I think if we do draw if we draw at Blackburn, I I think we have to win the Millwall match. But if we win at Blackburn, I would expect like, another win at Millwall because if we <laughs> no because. Cool. Because if we, if you know, if we're suddenly on good form, you know, we've won at home against Huddersfield, gone up to Blackburn and, and won, and then it's you know away against Millwall, we're on good form. If we're then going back to a draw, it, you know, it leads to it could lead to a set of bad results, and we just it's at this point of the season where we need to start. I've said it before, we need to start capitalising on the mistakes that Leeds and West Brom are making because. If yep. we don't start pushing into that that top two soon, we're we're not going to do it. And there's some the the end of this season, the run of fixtures, it's going to be a tough mm. set. Yeah. Thing you is, know? we are going to lose. We are going to lose games this season. Unless oh yeah, there's no a, getting around it. People can say we're not. Unless we go on a Slavisa Djukanovic inspired unbeaten run again, we're going to lose games, and it's going to be disappointing when we lose those games. But we're just going to have to suck it up and get on with it. Because the other teams around us are going to lose as well. Well, and if we yeah. we not only need to just suck it up and realize we're going to lose, we need fans to just suck it up and say, okay, we can't be calling for Parker's head every time we fucking lose. Yeah, completely. Agree. At this completely. point in the game, you got to stick with the guy that's there, okay? I'm sorry. We, mm-hmm. we can't just go changing willy-nilly now, okay? So get behind the guy. Let, let him do what he's doing, okay? He's not going to change. We all wish he'd change a little bit, but he is who he is, and it's doing pretty damn good so far if you look at the stats and where we are. We're third, and we're only we're within touching exactly. touching distance of the of the top two. Yet people call for his yeah. head. It's, it's bananas. It really is crazy. So, yes, he's frustrating. I, I mean, God, he's been frustrating to me. Some of the shit he pulls, like Man Man City. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. But still, I'm not calling for his fucking head every five seconds. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end it there. Up I think. The forum. That's, 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 Up that's the a forum. good place to end it. Nice one, lads. Thanks for joining me for this one. And also thanks to Morgs earlier on for the Sean Davis chat. We'll be back in a few days' time to look back at the game. And with a bit of luck, we'll be talking about a big Fulham win. See you soon. Cheers.